0: Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. It is July 18th, 2021. Just got back from Spring Creek last night, and I would be lying if I didn't say that I was exhausted. Probably landed like 11.30, Boise time, got to the house like, I don't know, 12 something, and took a shower and literally just like fell face forward into my bed, and uh, yeah, it's just been a long Few weeks, and typically that stuff doesn't catch up to me too much. But I was I was feeling it last night. Feeling better today. Got some sleep, and looking forward to being home for a few days this week, and then head over to Washougal, which is kind of an easy one. It's only a five or six hour drive. I'm not sure if I'm flying or driving. I have a flight right now, but I I can't find a rental car. I don't know if you guys out there are traveling at all, but rental cars are impossible to find right now. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen there. But anyway. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. They have been invaluable as far as helping me get new equipment, supporting the podcast, and allowing this thing to grow. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Blenza Oils, Six Twelve Suspension, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. We'll talk about them a little bit more later, but as for spring Creek, which I affectionately call Millville. I don't know what everybody else calls it, but it's been Millville my whole life. And I try to use the spring Creek thing because I feel like that's the official terminology and, uh, you know, working for racer X for all these years, man, we're going on nine years now, which is crazy, but it's, uh, it's forced me to get a little bit more professional in my approach to terminology and venues and all that stuff. But speaking of Millville, Jeremy Martin, his parents owned the facility. He grew up on the on the premises, he and his brother Alex. He won the damn race. He goes 1-1 on the day. And we know all the injuries he's suffering from, right? He's got broken fingers. He's His shoulder's jacked up from Orlando. Um, that was way back in, what, February or March, whenever that was. But he's just had injury after injury after injury. I think he's got a broken navicular still. But he found a way to get this one done. And if he was going to win a race this year, you had to figure it was going to be his home track a Millville, but I'll be honest, halfway through that first 250 moto, I didn't think it was going to happen. Justin Cooper rocketed out to the lead and it looked like he was going to check out on everybody. And I don't know if, uh, you know, Jeremy just kind of regrouped or was, or was letting the, the track work in a bit, or just, I don't know, just couldn't find the pace at the beginning. There are so many variables that it could have been, but around halfway, something clicked, and he just took off and chased down Justin Cooper and kind of made it look easy. And And the second moto was even easier. You know, he got out front early, and that was it. So great job from Jeremy Martin. You know, unfortunately, he's way down in the points. He's just had a, a tough go. Uh, Thunder Valley crashes out. Uh, Mount Morris. He's, uh, he has a rough day as well. And it just points-wise, it hasn't been so good. So he's going to need a lot of help if he really wants to be anywhere in contention for the championship. But winning races... Always feels nice, and let's remember he's in a he's in a contract year. So whether he stays there, which I don't think is going to happen, or if he goes to uh, Monster Pro Circuit Kawasaki, which some have uh, posed as an option, or if he gets that long uh, sought after 450 ride, you know that he's he's still trying to get something locked up long term on the 450 rides like yesterday will go a long way in you know boosting his salary and giving him some contract security. So we'll see where he goes from here, but that was a great day. I just, I don't know what to make of it because it is his home track. And I try not to be a victim of the moment. He hasn't been all that great. You know, he was good at Paula, of course. And then it, he won the first moto at Thunder Valley. And then ever since then, it's just been a rocky road. So let's see if he can take this momentum and build from it, or if it was just a one-off because he was at his home track. Justin Cooper. As I briefly mentioned, he takes the red plate, and I don't think he was all that thrilled with his ride. He got beat in the second moto by Michael Moseman, which I'm sure he wasn't thrilled with because he had an opportunity to make up even more points on Jet Lawrence. But I really think if you're Justin Cooper or anyone uh, in his corner, I think you should be uh, just reassuring him that he's doing exactly what he needs to do. All you want to do for the rest of this series is stay in front of the number 18. And, of course, there are situations, right, if you both DNF. And I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just saying in a normal situation, a normal race, under normal circumstances, who cares? If Michael Moseman has a great day and he beats you that moto, so what? He's DNF'd half the motos. He's not in this championship whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Just beat Jet Lawrence. Just beat him. That's it. Doesn't matter and Jet's doing all kinds of, you know, he's having all kinds of issues and stuff that's not in his control either, but that's part of racing, right? Your bad days sometimes define your championship. So for Justin Cooper, I think you just absorb what the moto was, take what it gives you. If you're ahead of Jet Lawrence, so be it. Put a smile on your face and keep moving forward. You didn't think you had a great day at Spring Creek, and guess what? You took over the uh, the red plate. So we'll we'll see. We're halfway, but Uh, I like the things that Justin Cooper's doing. He's putting himself in good situations. He's getting good starts. And in this 250 class with all this parody and just craziness, as many of you saw in that second moto, I mean, that was craziness to find, right? You just have to be there every single time. You don't have to win every moto. You don't have to win any moto. Just be on the podium week in and week out, and good things will happen for you. Jet Lawrence, oh, tough day. I don't think a lot of it was his fault, but I'll tell you what the, the common denominator is, is bad starts. If you put yourself in a good position like Justin Cooper is, guess what? You don't have to deal with any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about Pierce Brown and RJ Hampshire and all these guys crashing into each other. And they're just this yard sale in the middle of the racetrack. You're ahead of all that. You, you stay out of all of that mess. So to me, the biggest problem in Jet Lawrence's game right now, is the first 100 yards. If he sorts that out and puts himself at the front, I think he wins a lot of motos and is on the podium every moto. That's the way he's riding. That's the form he's on right now. But if you subject yourself to chaos and you subject yourself to the mistakes of others, bad things can happen. And that's what we saw yesterday. So he really just needs to focus on the start. Everything else will take care of itself because you can tell he's putting in the work. His riding is phenomenal. I don't know how much you guys saw as far as uh, qualifying practice on Saturday morning, but he is poetry defined when he's riding. So I don't think it's anything else other than situational. But guess what? Situational chaos can take you right out of a championship, just like it did in the second moto. Uh, so enough about that. I, I, I hate to feel like I'm coming down on him because I'm not. I'm just trying to define what the issues are. And I'm sure he has really smart people around him, Johnny O'Meara and all these guys. So they all know that, but you've got to do something about it. Austin Forkner is the last guy I had a note on for the 250. That was a great step in the right direction. You know, he got help. We have to notate that. And if you listen to the uh, race review with Steve Mathis and Why and myself, you know, we get into it a little bit on that. But I think it's really important to make sure that you understand what the situation was. There were people crashed all over the place. So he needs to take that finish and build on it because it wasn't just like he went out and got a four straight up and nothing happened. There was, there were no crashes and everybody finished. That's not what happened in that moto. It doesn't matter though. All that Austin Forkner needs to focus on is himself and his momentum and his confidence and his riding, and then let that roll into Washugel. continue to get good starts and turn up the intensity and everything else will, I think go well because he has the talent. He has the equipment. There's just been something lacking, and hopefully for him and his team, uh, he sorted out what some of that was in that second moto. As for the 450 class, we have our power rankings, as you know, longtime listeners of this podcast. It's more just to keep me on somewhat of a a guideline notes I have, and I like to track the momentum, the trends up and down for not only this Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship, but going back to Supercross 2. Because contracts and, you know, your reputation and how you are perceived as a rider, I believe, is over the long term. It's not just week to week. You know, there's a saying that you're only as good as your last race. Eh, I don't buy that so much. You know, if you're going to say that, then you think Aaron Plessinger is a 10th place guy. No, that's not true, right? It's, th- there are things that happen over the course of a season that allow you to determine whether you've had a good year, bad year, if you're trending up, trending down. And I like to just, I like to make note of it. I like to see how we start and where we end at the end of this Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship. We'll have some highlights. I'll, I'll just pick certain weeks throughout the year and see how these guys moved. Case in point, look where Dylan Ferrandez is gone. I'll pick a week right now. Let's just do it. Let's just have some fun with it. Let's go back to Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2021. This was after the first Orlando, and I just randomly scrolled up in my notes here to pick a race. Your power rankings, Dylan Frandes isn't even on this. He's not even in the top 10. I don't even know that I have a note about him. Nope. I don't even have a note. Uh, Jason Anderson is not in your top 10 anymore. He's number nine. Mookie, eight. Cincerillo Five. Uh, just a lot of guys right there. There was so much movement around Webb was at number two. So he had clearly started making his charge to the front. Roxham was one, uh, but you just see how many things change throughout the year. I think obviously the thing that jumps off the page is Verandes, not even on here. And he's your, your number one, he has been your number one guy for a couple of weeks. A little foreshadowing there of what's to come here in a few minutes, but I love to see how these guys move up and down throughout the year. So your honorable mention, he's number 11 and we only go to 10, is Dean Wilson. And I just like that he's been getting better. He charged both motos and he's riding injured. He's all beat up. I I think he's got a torn ACL. I think he has Epstein-Barr. He's got all kinds of things going on, but he's the only Rockstar Husky 450. So he's got to, you know, kind of hold the tent down because he's the only guy that can ride. He will get some company back in Jason Anderson here in a couple weeks, but I just like the fight in him. He's not, He's not lighting the world on fire or anything. He's trying to just get inside the top 10, but I think it deserved a little mention. He, he's really pushing hard. Joey Savacchi, I have at 10. And again, he is improving. Good starts. He running around inside the top five. And I don't want to say he got tired because I don't really believe he did. I just think he's struggling to go the pace of the guys like Tomac and Ferrandis and even Plessinger, Cintarillo, all those guys. Like If he has to go their pace... I don't think he can hold it the entire time, but if he continues to get up there, if he continues to fight like he is, it's going to get easier. And he will find that fitness level here, you know, in a a few weeks, maybe a month or whatever, but you can see him improving. You can see the form coming and and the biggest factor and the biggest key to him doing better is to continue to get those starts. He's got to continue to put himself in positive situations so that things will get easier. Number nine, Marvin Muskan. uh Man, things aren't going real well for Marv. Uh, he's been getting fairly good starts, but he's just been getting shoved around. He's not on the pace of the leaders. That's just a fact. I don't know why, but he's proven now after six races that he's just not. He's getting put, you know, half a track put into him by the leaders. So I don't know what the answer is here. You know, I, I think he obviously deserves to be on factory equipment and and still retain his ride, but something is amiss. You know, I don't know if he just put way too much emphasis on Supercross as Cooper Webb did late in the season. That would be my guess is that they just did zero outdoor prep at all. And it's really, you know, rearing its ugly head even halfway through the series, but it's, uh, it's been a rough go for Marvin to be sure. Number eight, I have Adam Cincerillo and, and I have a little asterisk here for Adam because I think this is it. I don't think we see Adam uh, at any more races. I, I do a Patreon podcast on Saturday mornings, uh, so I did one yesterday before Spring Creek, and it's a little bit of a preview of the day. We talk weather, we talk fantasy, what I expect to see, last-minute rumors, guys that maybe got hurt during the week, anything I can think of just to give you a little bit of an extra edge or more insight. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash industry seating. But I mentioned with AC, I thought he would be packing it in soon. I just could see the writing on the wall. And really it's because I think he's coming to a, a inflection point here where he's got to think about 2022. He's got to think about timeframes as far as a procedure done to, re, you know, regain the nerve and the feet, the nerves and the feeling in his arm. So you have to basically start working backwards from when I need to be healthy, when I can start preparing, how much time it's going to take to heal, how much time I need to get ready for Anaheim. All those things have to be planned way out. And I think it's close right now. Uh, I don't know how long this procedure takes to heal. Let's guess six to eight weeks. It could take anywhere up to eight to 10 to 12. That's probably on the long, the long end of the range but I'm going to say eight. That's for every injury. That's not super serious. It seems like eight weeks is a fair assumption. So eight weeks out from now, you're talking mid-September and you're, you're getting awfully close to that time where you need to start ramping it up and start riding. You're not in full boot camp mode. So I think he does have a little bit of time here, but you want to be healthy. You don't want to be Eh, I don't know if I can ride yet. You're in this no man's land of training, not training, especially when you get into mid-October, start of November, that would be really bad. If you weren't able to be full bore by then, you'd be in a really tough spot and you'd be falling behind the eight ball and just you'd be losing ground to everybody else. Not to mention he's going to want to do super cross testing Uh, Who knows, you know, what, what that entails, if they're going to have extensive testing, I would guess probably not. I don't think the bike is all that different for 2022, but I don't know that for sure. But I do know that this time of the year, if you're injured and you know, you have to get some sort of surgery done, you start to stress a little bit about running out of time and not being hundred percent ready to go in October when, you know, these boot camps, they're not fully on, but you're definitely riding in October. You're definitely starting to put in some laps and and get the ball rolling a little bit for Supercross. So again, point being, I think he's done. I don't think you'll even see him at Washougal. I could be wrong. Maybe he's there, but I think sooner than later, you're going to see him pull the plug on this 2021 Lucas Oil Pro Motocross series, which sucks, but I understand the reasons for it. And on a you know, a medical level and just planning out the days and months of preparation for Supercross, it kind of makes sense. Number seven, I have Chase Sexton. That was a pretty big step forward, I thought, in the second moto. Really nice ride. Uh, Steve Mathis and I were talking about this on the race recap. I feel like he's underperformed a little bit. I don't believe he's met expectations in this motocross series. He's had two Uh, moto moto, uh, podium finishes, you know, the first moto of the year. And then here, I don't think there's been any other motos, but I would have thought he would have some overall podiums. I thought he would have won a moto by now. He has done neither of those things. So I think it's fair to say he hasn't met expectations. Now it hasn't been a full disaster. I don't think it's been as bad as like Marvin's season, but it hasn't been good. You know, I, I had really high hopes for Sexton and I still do I'm long-term very optimistic for Chase Sexton, but it just hasn't lived up to the hype is really all that I'm saying. It's not over. You no, know, We're halfway, um, but yeah, halfway. I, I, think he's, uh, I think he's got some work to do if he wants to fulfill expectations from literally everybody. I think most people had uh, pretty high hopes for the 23. Number six, Cooper Webb. I'm still giving him some credit for Supercross. You know, his motocross results haven't been stellar, He is getting better, though. When you watch him ride, he looks better. His pace is improving a little bit. He looks more racy, and that's not a clinical definition. That's just kind of what I see. Uh, He just looks more competitive. He looks like he's more willing to get into the fight. I still think he needs to find some pace, though. He just doesn't look as fast as those guys, and when the Ferrandis, the Tomac, those guys get behind him, they just seem like they can go around him. I don't want to say at will because that's probably overstating it, but he's not able to hold him back there, that's for sure. Number five is Aaron Plessinger. It's been a little bit of a tough go here the last couple weeks. You know, he, he has that great first moto at Southwick. He gets a third. Second moto, not his fault. He's in, what, second place, third place, and uh, has a mechanical something bouncing around is in, in his engine that disallowed him from finishing. Then we roll into Spring Creek. And I thought his pace was pretty good, but, yeah, just – some more issues, uh, gets into a crash in the second moto with Ferrandis That kind of ruined his day. But I think long-term, he's, he's on the right track. His riding is good. He's getting pretty good starts. Uh, for the most part, this weekend wasn't stellar. But I, I just like the trajectory of where his career is going. And I'll be honest, I wasn't that optimistic. When he left the 250 class, I was like, okay, he'll be good, but not anything to get super excited about. And I was probably pumping the brakes on a lot of people that were getting, you know, really excited. I really like the guy. I think his his energy is contagious and I think he brings a lot of personality personality to the sport. And I've kind of come around on where I think he can go. I think he's really moving towards being a week in, week out podium guy. I think for Supercross next year, as he makes the move to Red Bull KTM, which I do believe he is making I think you're going to see him get even better. I think that KTM is really suited to Supercross. I think that's what it does well. I think that's what they've geared that bike towards, especially the production model where, you know, the MXGP guys, they can change frames. They can change all kinds of things per track where the USA guys, they have to run a production frame indoors, outdoors, doesn't matter the terrain or track type or geographical location. So that really limits what they can do. You have to basically build the bike to do certain things really well. I believe the KTM turns really well. I believe it's super nimble, which all help in supercross, but don't always pan out in the outdoor motocross series. Sometimes if the track's really fast, if it's a sand track, those things don't really pay off, right? And maybe you get some of the other, the negative effects that can bring where you lose some stability. Uh, You just don't, it doesn't handle quite as well in really rough sections and maybe it doesn't uh, provide as much confidence in really fast sections of the racetrack where a little bit a, a motorcycle that was built with a longer wheelbase or to be a little bit more forgiving can. And that's all in the engineering and really what the OEMs are going after. So I'm not saying that that's exactly what's happening. That's just from my personal experience. And I've ridden some of these bikes and that's kind of what I've seen from the performance too. When you watch these guys ride, it seems like that's what's playing out on the racetrack as well. I haven't seen KTM guys really perform well in the motocross series on that chassis yet. Marvin, Webb, Savachi, Bogle, none of those guys have really done a lot in motocross yet. So that's my hypothesis is that uh, the chassis may be having something to do with that because if you look at those guys in supercross, they were pretty strong, right? Marvin and Webb, especially at the end of the year, were incredibly strong. Number four, I have Justin Barsha, and I guess if you want to take everything that I said and toss it out the window because Barsha's on that same chassis, you could, but at the same time, look how good Barsha was in Supercross. Besides all that, Barsha was incredible yesterday. What a ride from Justin Barsha. Are you kidding? One, two on the day. I didn't see that coming. Did you guys see that coming at all? Like even a little bit? I don't remember Barcia being incredibly good at Spring Creek. So I don't have that to rely on to say, oh, I just forgot about that. To me, it was the starts and he just had the determination and willpower that he was going to go. I thought his pace was really strong because the first moto, find someone that's been able to hold off Dylan Ferrandez. That hasn't really happened. And then the second moto, Roxon gets around him really quickly, but then he's able to latch onto Roxon and doesn't let him go. And if you've seen Justin Barsha the last few rounds, even when he's gotten good starts, he hasn't been able to do that. Guys have passed him and just kind of pushed him, pushed him back, right? He hasn't, he hasn't had any fight. And if Justin Barsha has anything, it's fight. So a refreshing ride there from Barsha. He has lots of fans out there that have probably kind of been wondering what's up. And the, I think the biggest <laughs> takeaway there, if you watch time qualifying, he was 12th in qualifying. So it wasn't like he just woke up and was feeling it. I don't know where he pulled that out of, but again, my guess would be he put himself in good situations and was able to make the most of it. If you go back to what I said about Justin Cooper and what I said about Jet Lawrence, and the same can be said for a guy like Aaron Plessinger. If you put yourself in a good situation, good things typically happen. And that's a story as old as racing itself. You start at the front life's a lot easier. You start at the back. You either have to be exceptional and you have to be a lot faster than everybody, or you're going to do poorly. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Uh, life is just a lot easier at the front. You stay out of trouble. You stay out of the chaos. And a lot of times you can just absorb the pace around you. The first moto Barsha set the pace, but I think, you know, the second moto Roxanne went by and he figured out what Roxanne was doing, figured out the lines, used a lot of the, uh, you know, that pace he exhibited in the first moto and hung in there, got the overall win. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to the, uh, the TLD gas gas team. That was just a hell of a ride from him. Number three, I have Eli Tomac. I don't know what to make of this, but he looked tired in the second moto to me, not dead tired, not man. He might pull off here. He looks completely gassed, not that kind of tired, but I'm, I'm not really used to seeing any sort of fatigue at all from Eli Tomac. He's usually some sort of robot that only gets stronger as the laps wear on. That was not the case for Eli Tomac yesterday, and it really hasn't been the case for a while. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, again, we, we've we thrown out all cor- all sorts of theories here. You know, is has he backed down training a little bit in the last year because he's has children and priority shift, or is he – kind of riding this thing out and getting ready for 2022 and the shift to, to monster star Yamaha. We don't really know, but what I do know is his body language and his, his results as well. They pointed to him being a little bit fatigued in that second moto just wasn't able to charge forward. Wasn't able to close the gap on uh Barshan Roxen, which I really thought he would. I thought that he was going to, you know, make his presence felt with those guys late in the moto, because that's just what we've been trained and programmed to expect from Eli Tomac over the years. Now, all this flies in the face of what we've seen in the second motos. You know, the second moto at Southwick, he looked like a man possessed. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to do with what my eyes are telling me because my eyes were telling me that he was tired. But my brain and everything I've ever known about Eli Tomac tells me that can't be possible. I've just never seen the guy get tired before. So I don't know. I I don't know. I don't have any answers for you. I guess I'm just more posing questions, but it's curious. It is an interesting situation. Maybe just had arm pump. That could be a logical answer too. He just got pumped up and that would, uh, you know, riding with arm pump, it looks very similar to being fatigued. You just can't push. You don't have any intensity and you just are kind of going through the motions. So maybe he'll come out and tell us what was going on. I doubt it, but uh, he certainly didn't have the forward drive that we've been seeing the last few weekends in the second moto. Ken Roxon is at number two, and that was a, a really nice bounce-back ride in the second moto. He goes down hard in that first moto, takes a huge shot to his ribs. Surely had the wind knocked out of him. You know, I, I think all of us collectively took a deep breath and were worried that we had seen the last of Ken Roxon for the series when he gets hauled off in the, uh, the Alpine Stars medical mule. But thankfully, that was not the case. He fought through pain, fought through adversity, comes out and wins a second moto. Uh, just showed a lot of grit and tenacity. Good for him. Uh, you know, the series needs him. We need the stars of the sport out there. And he kept his championship hopes alive too. You know, he gave up a bunch of points in the first moto, but the, Dylan Fernandes' troubles in the second really saved Ken Rocks in there because he clawed back, what nine points in that second moto. So, I think it's 32 is the lead. It would have been 41, and maybe you know maybe that doesn't sound a whole lot different, but nine points is a is a lot of points to uh, to claw back in that second moto. You just think if he couldn't ride the second moto at all, I mean it would be over for him. You know even if Ferrandis has those issues, uh, Ferrandis would have gotten fourth if Roxon doesn't ride. That's 18 points, so the lead would be uh, 50 if. Uh, Roxon didn't ride that Sekimoto, so yeah, good job for Roxon. Way to keep it alive. Um, but I still, I think this is Fernandez's series to lose. It, it would be hard to argue against that, just from everything we've seen. Fernandez crashes doesn't matter. Bad starts doesn't matter. Uh, he has just been the best rider in the series, bar none. He's been the best guy, and that is why he is at the number one position of the power rankings for what third week in a row, something like that. I don't know, but he's been damn good. We're kind of running out of superlatives for him because he's able to fight through whatever issue, whatever adversity is thrown at him. You know, it's funny going back to supercross. We saw this speed. We saw the pace Orlando, which I happened to mention, I think the second Orlando where he crashes and he's just ripping off laps. I mean, he pulled away from, I think, I think web won, maybe Roxon won one of those two guys won, but he Ferrandez was pulling away from those guys after he had crashed, gone to the mechanics area, and pulled back out. So you knew the pace was there. There were other rounds where we were watching him catch up. You know, I think uh, one of the Atlanta rounds. Some of those races, you're seeing him. Salt Lake rounds, the starts and crashes and mistakes were all taking a toll, but the riding was was simply incredible. And you knew if he could find a way to put the whole package together, he was going to be really difficult to deal with. And a couple months later, here we are. Now I will be the first to tell you, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think he'd have a 30 plus point lead at the halfway mark dealing with guys like Roxen and Tomac and Webb and all these guys, but Hey, he's earned every single point of it. He's been great right from the get go. And he has, I mean, he's been dominant. Let's, let's be real, but look at like how fast Sexton was at Paulo. Like Sexton was closing in on him. So there wasn't like this, like, Oh my God, he's going to win everything. Nobody could ever beat him. But it seems like he's just gotten better and better and better. And at Thunder Valley, he was giving Roxen everything he wanted. And we're like, man, there he might be onto something here. And from there, it's just been lights out. You know, this weekend was tough. He goes 2-5, but the first moto is brilliant. He passes his way through the field to get to second. And then the, the second moto, with a crash, he fights his way back to fifth. So uh, kudos to him. Kudos to his program. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the things that uh, that I'm watching out there. Pirelli Tires has their new MX32 Midsoft mini tire. So if you're heading to Aretas and you want to get a good start, that's what I would suggest. It's a brand new range from them. You can use the same tread pattern that the pros use at all of the Lucas Oil pro motocross races, except for when they use the scoop. If they go away from the scoop, which is like this weekend they did for the motos, they immediately go to that MX 32. It's the tire that I choose as well. Uh, so just give it a hard look. That's what I would recommend for Loretta's. You, it's great straight line traction. And if you know anything about Loretta's, that start is super deep and the starts are so important for Loretta's. So check it out. Pick some up today and be dialed in when you show up to Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. Pump Creek Funding, listen, I've been preaching to you guys for months and months, maybe a year, about refinancing your house. And if you've been following along, the markets are really jittery because the Federal Reserve is starting to hint that they're gonna raise rates. It's not happening yet, right? We haven't seen them come out and say, this is gonna happen. But the language is starting to change they're talking about talking about it, whatever the hell that means. But all they're trying to do is warm everybody up so that the market doesn't freak out when they do it. This is just a process. They're hinting at it. They're going to have more conversations about it. They have Jackson Hole meeting next year, uh, next month, which is uh, basically the yearly policy meeting for the fed. They'll probably have more extensive conversations about a timeline for doing that. These things are going to happen. Interest rates are going to go up. And if you don't take advantage of it now, it's not going to last. All this crazy borrowing and cheap money, as they say, is going to go away. And when it goes up, it's not coming back down for a long time because we have issued so much money and we have gone into so much debt as a country that the government's going to have to recoup some of that money. Interest rates are going to have to go up. The banks are going to want to make money. So, Point being, if you're in the market to buy something and you're in an area where prices aren't through the roof, good luck on that, buy it now. And if you're looking to refi or if you're considering doing a refi, you need to get it done because it's just not going to last. This is a very temporary situation because that's how these things work. As the economy heats up, and and if you've been watching, you know, the unemployment numbers are coming down, the economy is getting back on track, which are all things that the Federal Reserve uses it's like their temperature gauge. And as the temperature goes up, they're going to raise interest rates to bring the temperature back down, right? They want it in a, in a certain range. And if it gets too hot, the federal interest rate is what they use to bring the temperature down. And like when COVID hit, the temperature fell, it plummeted, right? It was <laughs> ice cold. So they lower interest rates to encourage borrowing, encourage lending by the banks. The money gets really cheap. Uh, businesses will borrow money to try to grow and to try to take advantage of the opportunity that heats the economy up. So that's that's just how it works back and forth. And we're trending back towards a strong economy, which means interest rates are going to go up, which means you need to take advantage now. All that leads me to is you need to reach out to Plum Creek Funding, talk to Zach Morris, His number is 720-212-4685 and take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you because I don't know when this is coming back around. Interest rates this low, I don't know that we'll see again this decade. And who knows? Who knows what'll happen? But historically, that's not a bad bet. Guts Racing, check out that RJ Wide Wing seat. If you were going to a as I mentioned with Pirelli tires, and you want a little bit of extra grip, if you want to ride the bike how it's supposed to be ridden, you should be gripping with your legs. You should be using it to control. And and a lot of reasons is, is for safety, right? If the bike's swapping around, your arms can't do much about that. Your legs are what keep it in a straight line and keep the control over it. Trainers make these riders do so many core exercises and a lot of hip abdu- abductor exercises and leg lower leg strength, quads, squats, all that stuff, because that's where your power comes from. That's where the balance and the control over the bike comes from but you need to be able to grip the motorcycle too. If, if you can be the strongest person in the world, but if you're slipping and sliding, you can't get any uh, leverage over the motorcycle, you're not doing any good. So that's what that RJ wide wing seat was created for was to create extra leverage and to give you a little bit more control. The Rockstar Husky guys use this. Dean Wilson uses it and uh, yeah, on his way to a top 10 finish yesterday. Fast Foundry, doesn't matter if you are a startup, doesn't matter if you are a fortune 500 company, Fast Foundry has an application for you. Maybe you just want to get a little bit better at Excel, make your your business more efficient, and maybe you've sc- scaled up, right? All these companies have really grown coming out of COVID-19. And maybe that's presented some scaling challenges, right? You you're having a hard time keeping up with how fast your business is growing. I know that's been a challenge for us at Fly Racing. Fast Foundry can really help you with that process. They can make you much more efficient. So, the growth won't be overwhelming to you because there's nothing worse than growing too fast and not being able to uh, meet the demand of what, you know, it's supposed to be a positive experience growing, right? When you find all this new business, it's supposed to be a great thing. You're not supposed to drown because of it, yet it happens all the time. I've seen so many companies grow too fast. They can't meet demand. They can't keep up with it and they drown in their own success. So if that's something that you're looking at, if if you're looking at your business, like, man, I, I think we could be a lot better than we are today reach out to Fast Foundry, ask for Robert, go to fastfoundry.com and see what they can do for you today. Works Connection, see those hole shots. That's the Works Connection Pro Launch Start device. You can use the promo code JT21. If you're going to Aretas, you need to have a hole shot device. If you don't have a hole shot device, you're going to Aretas. I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know how you got there if you don't have one, but I can tell you that the Pro Launch Start device is better. Look at those Monster Star Yamaha guys. They whole shot every damn time with the Works Connection Pro Launch Start device. Blends all oils. They have that new Ultra TPI. And this is a legacy brand. This is something your dad probably used. It's something that has been around since the 50s, since the 60s. And they're really making a comeback. They're back on the scene. They're sponsoring all sorts of riders and teams and podcasts. So if you haven't given blends a try yet, I encourage you to do so. You can get it from Western power sports and you can go to blends to learn more, go to at on Instagram too, to check out all the team, all the teams and riders and uh, all the cool things that they're involved with. They are really, really proactive in their marketing efforts. And if you know anything about me, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Premier vapor blasting, go to their Instagram, check out all of the cool work that they do over there. Ask for Brandon, you will get a discount if you mentioned the industry seating podcast, but they are the foremost experts in vapor blasting. They can restore parts that, I mean, honestly, you think you should throw away if they're functional and there's nothing wrong with them. They just look like hell. Send in a premier vapor blast and get those things dialed in, make them look like new. Again, the stuff that they can do now is pretty wild. You know, I didn't know much about this process until I talked with Brandon about it and learned a little bit more but it's pretty impressive. It's a, it's a really great technology. You should check out 612 suspension. If you mention the podcast with Ronnie, you will get a discount on parts and labor. They're a race tech affiliate. So you can get gold valves. You get all the quality and service that you would always associate with race tech. You know, that company has been around forever and ever. And I've known Ronnie since I was a little kid. Uh, His dad actually used to work on my suspension. They were, uh, with a, you know, they were pro action way back in the day. And then Ronnie started his own company and has become affiliated with race tech, but they truly know what they're doing. They've been around motocross their entire lives, but they can do it all. They can do power sports, anything with power sports, mopeds, off-road, uh, side-by-sides, ATVs, you name it. If it has suspension, they are the company for you. Grandstone boots posted, uh, some, some new boots I got a few weeks ago. I need to get out to, uh, maybe get to dinner this week and, and wear my boots. I did not get to wear them in the entire time I was gone. I just, man, all I did was work the whole time, ate dinner at the hotel most nights, but I do love my Grandstone boots when I get a chance to, uh, to get out on the town pro glow wash. They are coming out with a brand new product soon. So I'm excited to tell all of you about that. But if you use the promo code moto 15 at checkout, you will save yourself some money and they are a power sports specific wash. So if you're, riding your dirt bike, which I would assume most of you are. That's why you listen to this podcast. You should be using something that is formulated for what you need, whether it's a, a road bike, you know, like a street bike for road grime, you know, all the stuff that gets all over your chain and sprocket and hubs with your chain lube, Progo will help get that off. And that's what I'm talking about when I say it's formulated to help, you know, stuff like simple green and, and these super generic washes you get at Walmart they're kind of do it all. And and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just not going to be as good as something like pro that is specifically built for the application that you're buying it for, you know, that's built to take off stuff like chain lube where simple greens built to clean crap off your deck at home, you know? So it's a little bit different. And first and foremost, I like supporting motocross specific companies and that should be enough right there. So save yourself some money. Use the promo code moto 15 last but not least fly racing. We are launching our brand new 2022 line this Friday, Boise time, which is Mountain Standard Time at noon. You can check out the 2022 line. All the riders will be wearing it at Washougal on Saturday, and I am super excited. I'm going to be doing media stuff all week. It's going to be kind of a crazy week as far as that stuff goes for me. Uh, I have an interview with NBC Sports on Friday for the broadcast on Saturday, and yeah, it's uh, it's a great time in our company. And yeah, it's always fun for us to get to share what we've been working on and basically just the new innovations that, you know, we, we work tirelessly on to try to improve our products. We're always trying to make the brand better because we really have one goal. And that is to be the premier motocross apparel brand in the world. That sounds really outlandish and and such pie in the sky stuff, but that's the goal. If you really want to know, we want to be the best. So we're going to, we're going to keep working on it until we're there. Thanks for listening to those sponsor mentions. I know it's probably not why you listen to the podcast, but it is really important. And uh, I do appreciate it very much. So thank you. So before we wrap this up, I want to talk MXGP a little bit. Jeffrey Hurlings, damn it. (sighs) He, uh, He got landed on in the first moto, first lap by Ivo Monticelli. And I was pretty unhappy with Monticelli there for a minute. But once I learned Hurlings' whole shot button was uh, stuck and didn't disengage, probably wasn't Monticelli's fault as much as it looked like. But man, Monticelli has crashed so much. And I just, I struggle with the things he does out on the racetrack quite often. So I jumped to conclusions there. But what a bummer for Hurlings. I hope he can keep racing. I know it's going to be painful. But I don't really know what they can do for a shoulder blade injury. You know, mostly it's just rest. And it's usually a pain tolerance thing. So we'll see. You know, I'm not saying that if he does not race that it's his fault or he should be out there. Anything like that. I'm just trying to be optimistic and hopeful that he finds a way out onto uh, the track this weekend. And Lockett, which is in the Czech Republic. Roman Febra, you want to talk about loose. My guy is sending it. He is absolutely going for it. And it's not always working out. He's crashing. <laughs> he is crashing a lot. But you can tell how much he wants to win. You can tell he is not scared to put it on the line right now. But he's got to stay off the ground because if he can stay off the ground, he can probably win some of these motos. So nice nice riding from him. You can tell he's really worked on his sand, uh, his sand game. You know, his speed and just his aggression in the sand is certainly much higher than it used to be but he's got to find a way to stay off the ground regardless of if he's on hard pack or in mud or in sand or whatever. Crashes seem to be the common denominator right now. Tim Geiser, uh, steady Eddie is what I wrote in my notes. You know, he, he started out the series as unquestionably the fastest guy. I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. He is one of the fastest guys, but he's he's not head and shoulders better than everyone. I think that's fair to say. But the the biggest key here is that he is extending the points lead. He's putting points into everybody. And it doesn't matter how you do it. You don't have to win every moto because if guys are crashing, if, if people are being inconsistent and leaving the door open, much like Justin Cooper in the 250 class in the USA, if you just stay on the podium every time and take wins when they're there, good things will happen to you in a championship. And that's kind of what I'm seeing from Geyser. You know, Hurlings has issues, Kairoli's crashing, Prado's all over the place, Febvre's crashing. And then you have Tiga, who is probably, a Taiga, however you say it, who's probably the most prone to crashing over the last few years. Hasn't really crashed much. He's kind of kept it on two wheels and allowed the races to come to him. So pretty impressive riding from him. I hypothesize that the 2021 and 22 models have allowed him to take some of that, uh, chaos out of his riding and added a little bit more predictability. And it seems like that's kind of still playing out. Tony Cairoli, what more can you say? The guy is some sort of superhuman that second moto ride the last like five laps. Where the hell did that come from? I thought he was doing well to hold onto a podium. I'm like, Oh sweet. He's going to you know, get third in this moto. Maybe he can get Prado and then no, no straight after Geiser and just gone. I mean, just checked out on everybody the last couple laps. What a insane ride by him. I don't really have the, the right adjectives to say or adverbs or I guess adjectives about the ride, adverb about his riding. I'm going to walk through my grammar lessons with you here, but I, I just, I love to see it. He's 35, 36 years old, whatever the age is, and just Absolutely going for it, and he adds so much to that series. I hope he can climb back into this point series. Like, we need Geiser to have some difficulty here. We need a crash, we need a mechanical failure, and then I think the series gets really wide open. So, just keep an eye out for that. You know, it hurling's missing that second moto, kind of let the air out of the series on a short term basis, but we'll see what happens. I'm hoping that Hurling's can race this weekend. And I think even more importantly, we need Geiser to suffer some adversity here. Uh, Last but not least, the MX2 guys. Great job from Geertz today. We've kind of been waiting to see if Geertz get back back to form. I mean, he was way off in Russia, but we all know he was suffering from a knee injury too. So that kind of makes sense. He looks like he's kind of getting it back here. The pace is coming back. He's been able to train. He's been able to ride. And then he throws up a 1-1 on the board. But and I'm going to throw a butt in here. If you watched his motos, Kai Wolf was giving him everything he could handle. And for me to really think that Yago Geertz is back, and when I say back, I mean the level of 19 and 20, he's going to have to go out and win by 15, 20, 30 seconds over these guys. Beat guys like Kai Wolf convincingly. I mean, Kai Wolf should not be pressuring Yago Geertz, on a track that Geertz rides well, like in the Netherlands, that should not be happening. If you want me to believe that Geertz is fully back. So we'll see where it goes. I think Geertz has a lot of room left to improve. And maybe this is just a stepping stone to where he's going to get to, but I think we just need to pump the brakes, right? Let's not get too carried away on Geertz and saying, Oh, this, you know, he's going to win everything. I don't see that yet. Uh, I just see a, a rider like Kaida Wolf, who is a young star in the making, being able to pass Geerts and give him everything he wants. That is a telltale sign of Geerts still working to find his form again. Bummer for Tom Vial. Uh, I thought he'd be able to give a little bit more than he did today. Clearly just not healthy yet. Uh, I don't know. This is a tough stretch. It's four in a row here. So if he's not able to ride, let's say, this weekend at Lockett, I mean, the championship's done at that point. It might be done already. But I really thought he would be able to, uh, to really give it a go today, and that just wasn't the case. Remember, he had a weekend off after Majora. And I need to go back and look. Maybe there was news. Uh, I was flying late last night, didn't get in. I didn't get to watch practice this morning, so maybe he crashed or something this morning. I don't know. That's my own fault for not having all the information. I just know he wasn't really in the results. I did watch the race, but I didn't see him anywhere. So I'm assuming he just wasn't able to go. Uh if there was something that I just missed, that's on me and I apologize. Um but I do know that the championship is slowly slipping away from him here just just on the points level. You know, Geertz is gaining points. Renault's been somewhat consistent. And yeah, Vial's just throwing up zeros on the board. So that's it for this week. My schedule, I go to Washougal and then I am home until uh, Finland. So that is, I leave uh, August 19th. The race is the 21st, 22nd, whatever weekend, whatever day that is. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, spending some time at home. I may go to the Honda 250F intro. That's in Oregon. Looking at doing that the weekend after Washougal, but that would just be a quick trip, drive over and back. But uh, I appreciate all of you listening. Check out that Patreon podcast if you so wish. And we will talk to you soon. Talk to you next Sunday after Washougal.